Welcome to the Breast Cancer Podcast. I am breast surgeon, Dr. Deepa Hala Harvey. And I'm Monica Brooks, a cancer advocate. And we're both breast breast cancer cancer survivors. survivors. We're here to talk about all things breast cancer. From surgery to survivorship, we know firsthand the challenges and questions a breast cancer diagnosis brings. We are here to tackle topics that impact our lives. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Breast Cancer Podcast, Episode 2. Today, we're talking about breast cancer risk factors. And to be honest, before I had breast cancer, I had no idea of my risk factors for getting breast cancer. So we both feel so strongly that each woman should know what their risk is. One of the great things I love about bringing us together is that Dr. Halla Harvey, she's the expert. But sometimes as a patient on the other side of things, that doesn't always translate the same way. And I'm sure you'll agree. That's right. Yeah. So as we go through these risk factors, I'm just going to intervene with some questions because I truly want to know. And I also want to better understand. And our hope is that if you're listening to this, whether you have cancer or not, you're aware of the risk factors of breast cancer. And you can also share this with other women in your life so they know as well. All right, Dr. Hala Harvey, you are up. Let's talk about risk factors. Risk factors essentially means someone is at risk for developing breast cancer. That does not necessarily mean they will get breast cancer, but these are some risks. So being a woman, being a female gender, that's 100 times more likely that you'll get breast cancer compared to men. Damn it. (laughs) You know, like, can we please catch a break? Just the fact that we're women, we're already at a higher risk than men. Compared to men, we are 100 times more likely to get breast cancer. Now, what are some other risk factors age? You know, as we're getting older, you know, increasing age is a risk factor. And race, it's more common in Caucasians than in African Americans and other races. However, I do want to make sure to say that it's more aggressive in African American population. I learned that statistic during my diagnosis, and I was just like in shock by it. And I'm sure you're talking about the aggressive breast cancer being the triple negative breast cancer, which is um, harder to treat. That is correct. Yeah, they tend to get diagnosed at a younger age and later stage. And that's why, you know, we'll again talk about body self-awareness. It's so important to have an awareness of your body, including your breasts. So if anything changes, it's important to bring attention to your doctor. I completely agree. And I think that's one of my biggest learning lessons through this whole thing was body self-awareness and how I had none. So I really look forward to our future podcast where we can talk about this a little bit more. Let's go into some more risk factors. Someone who has had a history of breast cancer, you're at risk for getting breast cancer. So I had breast cancer in my right breast. Talk about what that means for me and my left breast. The risk of getting contralateral breast cancer is 0.5 to 1% per year. So in 10 years, it's about 5% risk of developing breast cancer. I'll be honest and say I did not even know that statistic. Same thing in your breast that had cancer, it's about 5% to 7% risk of developing cancer in the future in 10 years, depending on the kind of surgery you've had, of course. All right. So next up is hormone replacement therapy, HRT. What can you tell us about that? Hormone replacement therapy is a risk for breast cancer. What that is, is women who are going through menopause take a combination of estrogen and progesterone for five years or longer, puts them at risk for breast cancer. And we say the risk is like 20% 
increased risk of developing breast cancer. No way. Oh my goodness. 20% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you get breast cancer, any percentage seems like a lot. Even the fact that I was diagnosed with breast cancer under 40, statistics are lower for that to happen, but it still happened. So tell me why a woman going through menopause would take this hormone replacement therapy. What does it do for them? Yeah, so as women are going through menopause, the typical symptoms are like hot flashes and night sweats and mood swings and weight gain and, you know, um, vaginal dryness and difficulty with, you know, sexual intercourse, uh, thinning of the hair. And it can also have impact on cardiovascular health as we deplete estrogen in our body. So women tend to supplement it with a combination of estrogen, progesterone. And, you know, if you take it for a temporary period of time, just for a short time, it's okay to do that. But I just say you don't want to stay on it for a long time. And I do have patients who come in, they've been on hormone replacement therapy for several years. And that does, it is worrisome. Maybe this is a topic for another day, but I know in our cancer community, there's a lot of women who are BRCA positive and they're put into menopause because of the risk of cancer. So they get their ovaries taken out. Aren't they put on hormone replacement therapy? It's an excellent question, Monica. So these women who are, you know, BRCA mutation positive, they have what we call prophylactic oophorectomy or removing ovaries even before developing cancer because the risk of ovarian cancer is 40%, like with the BRCA1 and about 20% with BRCA2. And they do go into medical men or surgical menopause rather, they are put on estrogen supplementation. So if they don't have a uterus, it, you would just be taking estrogen supplementation, which is okay. But if you have a uterus, unfortunately, you also need progesterone. So the combination of estrogen and progesterone is what causes the risk of developing breast cancer. I find that very interesting. I, uh, I learned something new. Sometimes women will say, I'm taking bioidentical hormones. It's not the hormones prescribed by my doctor. And it all has the similar effects in your body in terms of the exposure to estrogen, progesterone, whether it's synthetic or bioidentical. So I would say that's sort of a, a false belief that we have bioidenticals are better are less problematic than the synthetic medication. I feel like I have like 20 more questions about this topic. So I definitely think it could be another episode for us. Um, What else do you have as far as risk factors? Having a first degree relative increases your risk for breast cancer. So if your mother or sister has had breast cancer, your risk actually doubles of developing breast cancer. A woman who has an atypical biopsy, what is that? So you get your routine mammography and they find calcifications or some abnormality. And then they will say, oh, you need a biopsy. And the woman ends up getting a biopsy. The pathology comes back as atypical ductal hyperplasia or atypical lobular hyperplasia mm-hmm. uh, or, atyp- or lobular carcinoma in situ. These are all risk factors for developing breast cancer in the future. And so going back to the risk factors again, some of the other risk factors are obesity is a risk factor. And why is that? Is because when we are obese or have excess fat storage, estrogen is stored in the fat cells. So that's definitely a risk factor for breast cancer. Tell me about weight gain and obesity with postmenopausal women. 
the studies have shown for women who are going through menopause in a postmenopausal phase, if they're obese, that does put you at risk for breast cancer. So postmenopausal obesity, mm-hmm. it's really important. And then I'm, I'm, I know we're going to talk about ways to decrease your risk of developing breast cancer in our future yeah. episodes. Yes, that's definitely a topic we have lined up for the future. So this next risk factor, I already have a question lined up for you around dense breast tissue. Dense breast tissue is a risk for breast cancer. And why that is, is dense breast tissue looks white on a mammogram and cancer looks white on a mammogram. And sometimes it's difficult to tell. Okay, here's where my question comes in. I know I have dense breast tissue, but I only know that because I had a mammogram. So if I'm under 40, how else would I know that I have dense breasts and that's a risk for cancer? So unfortunately, our guidelines don't recommend getting a mammogram under age 40 for women, for an average risk patient. But say you have family history of breast cancer, and that's why I think it's really important to know your family history. Mm -hmm. And it's important to talk to your families about family history, not just breast cancer, but all cancers, right? And I often do have family or patients telling me that the families don't like to discuss such things. But I think it's really important to let everybody know if if they develop whatever kind of cancer, uh, because that does put you at risk for breast cancer. So maybe this just goes back to body awareness and just knowing your breasts and knowing the changes and monitoring things, whether you have dense breasts or not. That is exactly correct. There are organizations that don't actually recommend you doing breast exam. No way. That is the first time I've heard that. What would be the reason why an organization would say that? The reason for that is the most common lump that we find when we're doing a breast exam, it's either dense breast tissue, like we were just talking about, or just a benign lump, whether it's a cyst or a fibroadenoma when you're younger. And most of the time, these results come back benign. So it causes increased anxiety in women is the, is the reasoning behind not recommending breast exams. But I say as a person, we just have to have self-body awareness, whether it's our breasts, whether it's our, you know, heads. Exactly. Anywhere on your body, we should have that body awareness. And I feel like you and I could scream this from every rooftop possible. Just need to be aware of what's going on in your body. You just have to have the self-awareness. All right. We have a few risk factors left. Which one do you have next? Menstrual history is huge. So for women who have early menarche, meaning starting your first period for younger than 12, and late menopause, so for women who go through menopause after age 55. Mm. And the reason for this is the more exposure of estrogen progesterone in your body, the more likely that you may develop breast cancer. So I remember going into my annual exam, and they would always ask me when I started my period. Is that the reason why? That is exactly the reason why they ask. That's very interesting because I never knew why they asked. So that's good to know. And also for younger women to remember when they started their period because it will matter in the future. All right. What's another risk factor for breast cancer? Late first pregnancy. So for women who have had pregnancy after age 30, that's a risk factor for breast cancer. And again, the same concept. You just have excess exposure to estrogen and progesterone. Mm. uh, And that can put you at risk for breast cancer. I find this really interesting because I was pregnant when I was 34, so older, and it's one of those things like it's not just one thing as to why I got breast cancer. Yeah, it's it's multifactorial. That's what we Mm -hmm. call it. It's multifactorial. 
And you just have to know your family history. You just have to know your when you started your periods, when you're, you know, when you do have your first child. Those things are really important because it does play a role. And nulliparity meaning not having kids. So never having kids meaning you're never breaking those cycles. No way. Yes, you're never breaking those cycles of estrogen, progesterone can put you at risk. So nulliparity is the word for when you have never had children, and it's important throughout your life to break the cycle of estrogen and progesterone. Yes. And that's why having a period early is a risk factor because you have that estrogen in your body a lot longer. That is correct. All right, let's do another risk factor. Radiation to the chest wall prior to age 30. So these men and women are diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. They, in the past, in their teenage adolescent years, they got chest wall radiation, mantle chest wall radiation that can put you at a risk for breast cancer. Wow, I am like learning so much today because that's something else that I never knew. Those men and women are considered high risk, meaning you should let your doctor know that you had this radiation in your young years. Though, and now you should be followed as a high-risk screening. And we'll probably get into that in a different episode. But you not only need a mammogram, but you also need an MRI. I know this is another field, but those who've had that cancer should have been told that they are high risk and to screen themselves for breast cancer. Does that sound right? That is correct. They yes. Know that. And I don't know, sometimes they don't know that. Yeah, I've had patients who I diagnosed with breast cancer who've had mantle chest wall radiation. For some reason, they did not know that that does put you at a risk for breast cancer. Wow. That, um, that's very sad and also very interesting at the same time. All right, Dr. Hala Harvey, we have a few more to go. Alcohol and tobacco use. Now, tobacco use causes a number of different cancers, not yeah. just breast cancer. And I usually tell patients it can start from your lips your throat, your esophagus, your stomach, colon, um, and, you know, prostate cancer and bladder cancer, pancreatic cancer. So All those things from tobacco? Tobacco is not very good. Oh, I mean, we, <laughs> and it's like we all know tobacco is bad for you. I just didn't realize that it tied into more than just lung cancer. 85% of the lung cancer is from smoking. Mm. And so it definitely causes lung cancer, but it can also cause a number of different cancers. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a carcinogenic. Now, drinking alcohol, studies have shown even like more than two drinks a week can mm-hmm. put a woman at risk for breast cancer. So I'm looking at our notes here and it says alcohol abuse. Two drinks a week doesn't sound like alcohol abuse. Correct. So American Cancer Society does say you can have, for women, you can have one drink per day. And for men, they say it's two drinks per day. But some of the breast cancer studies have shown even drinking more than two drinks per week can put you at risk for breast cancer. Well, that stinks because I feel like most women enjoy a glass of wine every now and then. But I think the key for this is just in moderation. Yeah. Theme here is moderation is okay. We just don't want to be overindulgent in anything that we do. All right. Well, I can I can handle that. Now, I do want to talk about genetics and the common misconception that I hear. And I know we did talk about family history earlier. I said, when, if you have a family history, especially the first degree relatives, it does, you know, double your risk of breast cancer. So breast cancer patients who get diagnosed with breast cancer, you only see family history in about 15% of the time. So 85% of the time, these patients don't have a family history of breast cancer. The reason I want to make a point of this is women will come to me and say, oh, I don't need to get a mammogram. It doesn't run in my family. 
you know, just last week I had a patient, she had a meltdown. She said, why is this happening to me? There's no family history. None of my family members have breast cancer. And only 15% of the time patients who have breast cancer have a family history. So right. 85% of the time it's sporadic. Oh. It just happened due to wear and tear of life, due to number of other things. And I don't know if any of the listeners can relate to this, but it's very frustrating when you feel like you were doing so many things right like you had a healthy diet, you were exercising, you did yoga, meditation, all of these things. And yet we fall into this bucket of 85%. And it is so frustrating. It is very frustrating. And I think we just have the false sense of assurance, like, okay, I'm working out, I'm eating healthy. I, my weight, body weight is good. I should not get any kind of cancers. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, there is a mutation in the DNA, mm -hmm. whether it's environmental or something we're ingesting. Mm -hmm. We just don't know yet, you know. And breast cancer is heterogeneous and multifactorial. Is this, we can't just point to one thing that's causing the cancer. There's a yeah. number of things that can cause cancer. So it's hard to tell. And with both of us being survivors, it's like we want to know what caused our cancer so that we can prevent it again. But it's not that easy. Right. Well, you know, I did not have family history of breast cancer in my family, and I'm the first person to get breast cancer. But unfortunately, my daughter's risk of breast cancer has doubled, and she would need to start getting a mammogram 10 years earlier. And one other thing I do also want to talk about is genetics, so genetic mutation. There is a mutations like BRCA, we talked about this earlier, BRCA rather, um, you know, there's P10, there's ATM, there's, there's a number of different mutations that can put you at a risk for developing breast cancer. Less than 10% of the patients do have a genetic mutation that can cause breast cancer. Again, it's important to know your family history. It's important yeah. to know who in your family have had ovarian cancer, or pancreatic cancer. And so we do send these patients to genetics if they have the criteria for genetic counseling and testing. And if you have more than two family members with, you know, diagnosed with breast cancer, family history of colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, ovarian, any one family member who has had ovarian cancer, you do qualify for genetic testing. This conversation has been so enlightening and I've learned so much. And I wish I could just go back and tell my younger self to pay attention, know the risk factors for having breast cancer. Yeah. And, you know, we don't think about it until it happens to us, I think. That is so true because I never thought, I never thought, never that I would get breast cancer. It never crossed my mind. Cancer was not on my mind in my 20s and my 30s, and it happened. My main goal and our goal, Monica, is to empower women to take, you know, health back into their hands. And, you know, as you know, we are both aware of the fact that when you get diagnosed with cancer, you lose a sense of control. And that's really hard, you know. And for me, as a as a physician and a surgeon, you know, we are very control freaks, you know. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's true. I hate to admit it, but it's true. And you think you can control everything in yeah. life. And unfortunately, life doesn't work that way. Well, thank you so much for your expertise in this podcast, Dr. Hala Harvey. And one of the ways we talked about ending our podcast was with a thought or an action that you can take to take your power back from cancer. And Dr. Hala Harvey is going to kick off the first tip. So today's action would be exercising. And I think walking is a great, great exercise that is underutilized. It's great for joints. It's great to go out and get fresh air. And again, it doesn't need to be a long walk, 30 minutes a day, five days a week, 
or 150 minutes per week, whichever works for you. So that is something you can do to take control back. All right. Thanks for joining us again for episode two, and we will talk to you soon.